This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wondery people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your Ingle Company's Founder Series. Ooh. I am Maddie Guest and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie Dicker. Mads, we have seen that so many people are jumping in, starting their own businesses and it's an investment, isn't it? It is. And so we want to platform or share the stories of some of Australia's most successful founders and find out how they did it. We're going to get some insights. Today, we are joined by the incredible, the very humble and the gorgeous Zara Seidler to talk all about the Daily Oz. I feel like we're in a bit of a chaos moment when we (laughs) recorded this episode, but amongst the chaos, there is some seriously good nuggets of information. So please, (laughs) please bear with us (laughs) and enjoy. So Zara, what is your drink of choice? I've been thinking about my drink of choice and I know this is meant to be a one word answer, but I'm so picky about food that drinks are the one thing I'm not picky about. Mm. I'm going to go rogue and just say water. How's that for an answer you weren't expecting? <laughs> yeah, I guess we all have to drink it. So it makes sense. <laughs> and you know, when so much of your energy is about being picky about food, it doesn't leave room to be picky about other things. Sure. I like it. That I'm sure you'll be the only person that gives us that answer. So enjoy. <laughs> I hope so. Otherwise, you're interviewing a bunch of boring people. <laughs> <laughs> Zara, what is your favourite book and why? My favourite book um, is probably a book called A Little Life. Oh, my um, Lord. I, anyone's, Are yeah, you serious? I know. It, it, it ruins your life a bit, it's but so I think that for me, it um, it is something that has stuck with me. And the way that I measure how much I love something is whether I continue to think about it. And I always think about that book. And so to me, that's something that, um, yeah, has really stuck out. To be honest, it is probably one of the most incredible books I have read. I will give you that. And because of the, how much it makes you feel. Thank you. But like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hectic. It is actually. <laughs> it, it temporarily ruins your life, but then I think that the message stays with you beyond that. Okay. I'll add that one to my <laughs> list, I guess. I'll let you guys know how I go. <laughs> and then is there an Instagram or TikTok account or social media account, whatever you use, that you really love and you feel should be shared to the world? 
I have a TikTok account that I'm obsessed with and now that I think of it, I don't actually know how to say his last name. His first name is Tim and his whole vibe is documenting his life as a 40-something in New York and what I think he does amazingly, he's an exec at a media company of some description. He never really goes mm. into it. But what I love is that he um, he makes the really benign and the really boring look really exciting. Like just spending time at home with his partner is like the highlight of his day and something really beautiful and having lots of meetings means that he's doing his job well and I just think that um, every time I see his videos and they have a really distinct kind of jingle at the beginning (laughs) they just remind you of what what you can make out of the monotony of every day and I think it's a really beautiful account to follow amongst all the craziness of work and life and the rest of it. I love that bringing a really nice sort of perspective to the day-to-day at work which can sometimes be or you I think it's very easy to slip into the mindset of like oh it's boring or I have to do it but Good perspective. I like it. Yeah, so do I. So, Zara, can you take us back to your 18-year-old self? If we had asked you what you wanted to be when you were that age, what would you have said? I probably would have given you a snarky response about not needing to know at that age what I wanted to be. That feels (laughs) very me. But um, at that age, I was really obsessed with the idea of becoming a teacher. I had just finished school and was obsessed with the teachers that had taken me through high school and thought that my, at that point, what I thought was just that I liked explaining things to people um, would be best kind of brought together or exemplified as a teacher. And so I really wanted to be an English teacher. Um, and somehow, and I don't know why, but my brother talked me out of it and was like, oh, you should do a broader degree, open your options. And so I ended up choosing another degree that wasn't education with the intention of then going back to become a teacher later. So what did you, I mean, we'll get into your like founder story and all about the daily odds, but what did you do? Like, what was your first job out of, um, your university degree? Well, I worked a fair bit during uni. Um, my first real job that doesn't count because, I mean, I sold inflatable pool toys for a while. That was pretty cool. But um, <laughs> aside from the pink unicorns that sit in people's backyards, um, I worked at Sky News as a liaison producer. And so for anyone listening that doesn't know what that is, it's literally the bottom of the food chain, like the lowest you can possibly be in one of the world's biggest companies. And it was the best possible job I could have had at uni to get my foot into media firstly, but also to learn how kind of the beast works. So from Sky News to now starting The Daily Oz, can you tell us a little bit about what The Daily Oz is? Sure. So The Daily Oz is is the antidote to Sky News. Um, It is (laughs) what we like to call the entree to your news diet. Um, It was started a couple of years ago by my best friend and I, Sam, to really just be able to communicate the news to our friends and to be able to engage them in the world around them um, because we didn't feel like traditional media was doing that very well at the time. And so we chose to do accessible bite-sized news for young people. That was our mission then. It remains our mission now. And I guess that's a good sign that we've kept up doing what we wanted to do then today. Can you tell us the story of how you and Sam came to be co-founders? And I guess I'm interested to hear, like, was the Daily was the Daily Oz a concept that you had sort of always 
thought, wondered about whether you could do something like that or was it something that sort of came about once you and Sam connected? I'll take the second question first. I never thought that (laughs) I would run a business, do a business, anything in media. I was always interested in politics and I continue to be really interested in politics. And so for me, when we got to the Daily Oz, it was about explaining politics and explaining all of that to my friends rather than like building a company. But to answer your first question, it was originally Sam's idea. So he went through a shitty breakup. Uh, his psych, who we continue to say she'll get kickbacks from this, <laughs> she recommended to him that he should have a pet project, have something to redirect his nervous energy towards. And anyone that knows Sam knows how accurate that is. He came up with this concept called The Daily Oz. There was nothing to it, but he took the handle and he posted on Instagram saying, does anyone want to do this with me? And he and I had grown up in the same community but didn't know each other at all. We'd never met each other. Uh, But we had a lot of friends in common. And so I think like six friends sent me a screenshot of his Instagram story being like, you must do this. Allegedly, I was the only person that responded. Um, and so we went for coffee. Um, Allegedly. <laughs> I don't know what that says about either of us. Um, we went for coffee <laughs> here in Bondi and we sat at a cafe that we were actually at recently and that's where the Daily Oz was born. We sat there for about four hours and just spoke about what we wanted to do, how we wanted to do it, what our mission would be, uh, and then we started that very day. And uh, I'd say that the Canva design has hopefully gotten a bit slicker and the team has grown considerably <laughs> since that time, but the essence of it hasn't changed at all. What do you think it was about you or what you were doing before the Daily Oz that made all of your friends send that post to you? <laughs> I think I was incredibly obnoxious um, more than anything. <laughs> I think that I cared really deeply about certain things and couldn't find space in my brain to understand why other people didn't care as deeply. It was like just this complete (laughs) lack of empathy. I was like, but if I care, why don't you care? And so for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to have conversations about this. And I always wanted to talk to my friends about what I was reading and what I cared deeply about. And so I think that they sent it to me because they saw Sam's call out as an opportunity to funnel that into something productive and less obnoxious. (laughs) I remember that growing up, we used to have, I have three brothers and in our old house, um, I would be upstairs and all my brothers lived downstairs and my brothers would always laugh that I'd come downstairs only to announce bad news that had happened in the world. It was like that I loved announcing bad news. I'd be like, guys, Michael Jackson's dead. I'm really sorry to announce it to you all. And they were like, sorry, we could wait for the 6pm news for this. Thank you. And so I think that it was a matter of channeling that absurd uh, habit of mine into something a bit more productive. Do you think that came from somewhere or someone like that kind of, I guess, curiosity with the news or the bad news? Like, was that instilled in you by someone or do you just think you were born that way? (laughs) (laughs) I was just born with it. No, I do think, um, I think that it came from the family that I'm from. We, when I started dating my current partner, everybody asked him, how our Friday night dinners were, like in a really cautious, like, oh, wow, you must be very brave if you can deal with the side of dinners because uh, we have like this well-known 
uh, thing of just always engaging in like deep debate um, just as a standard way of operating. And so growing up with A, three older brothers, but B, parents that always indulged our curiosity and encouraged our curiosity, I think um, definitely instilled in me and my brothers a desire to learn more and, and kind of know more and see more. So from that day that you were sitting in a cafe with Sam talking about creating this idea, the Daily Oz, you said you started that day. What, I guess for people that are thinking about starting a business or a side hustle, like what was your first step? It was chaos, but our first step was creating um, tone. And I think that that's difficult to understand if media isn't the business that or the industry that you're trying to go into but with us tone was everything and continues to be everything and is the reason that our business has been able to succeed and so for us it was just really nailing and and sitting there and speaking about it for hours like how do we want to communicate how do we want to come across and even to this day I say something that's so important to us is that we speak across from our audience not down to them and that has grown out of years of knowing what our tone is how we're going to approach our audience so I think that was first and then building a really strong brand identity when all you have is content that content needs to shine and it needs to be clear where that content comes from especially in the crazy ecosystem that is social media and so those were kind of the first things that we worked on Um, and we're really lucky that it happened fairly organically Sam and I um, have exactly the same tone. You could never know for that first four years who was writing what because we kind of both approached it in exactly the same way, which was such a blessing. And then with brand identity, it's really stayed the same since that initial sitting on Canva, figuring out how the hell it works and deciding that like really bright colours were our way forward. We were talking the other day about how perhaps it's time for a refresh because it's stayed the same the whole time. I don't want to get like too deep or technical, but do you have a way <laughs> of articulating like what that tone is that you're talking about? The reason why I ask is because I feel like I've really felt it, but I don't know what it is that oh. I felt. <laughs> Love that. Inclusivity? Um, I think it should feel like a friend. That's ultimately what we came down to is that we wanted it to be for our friends and therefore it should sound like a friend. It should sound like someone who isn't judgmental, who is curious and who is just talking to you, not talking down to you. And so, yeah, I'd say that the tone really just comes down to respect and also just like equalness that we aren't like your parents' newspaper telling you that you're never going to own a home because you eat too much avocado, but rather that like here is the issue with a rental crisis in Australia and we know how dreadful it is and we want to tell you everything you need to know so that you're armed with those facts. I mean, yeah, I just think it's so impressive. I feel like for me personally, and I definitely spoke about this a lot with Soph at the time, the election, was it last year? Yes. Was the first (laughs) election that I had like fully engaged in and felt like quite passionate about the outcome. And I can... 100% say that that was because of you and what the Daily Oz was doing at the time. For those who maybe weren't across it as much, are you able to give us like a bit of a rundown about the kind of stuff that you guys did in the lead up to the election? Because I feel like it was super impressive, but also some maybe stats if you can remember them. But I, I remember there being some really impressive facts around 
the engagement of young people at the time. Yeah. So firstly, thank you for saying that. That warms my very cold <laughs> heart in a way that nothing else does. <laughs> I convinced someone politics is important. Yeah. <laughs> Job done. I'm done now. I can walk away. So overriding logic in approaching the election was that we didn't want to assume any knowledge. We know that young people care, but that for a lot of us, we had never actually learnt the basic facts of how elections work, of how politics in this country works. And so when we started to look at the election and look at what we wanted to do content-wise, it was really important for us to lay the groundwork in terms of political literacy and really just building those very necessary foundations on which political knowledge could be built. And so um, one of the things we did was we partnered with the Australian Electoral Commission. We worked with them to drive youth enrolment because one of the things that people don't know is that when you turn 18, you don't automatically then get the right to vote. You actually have to enrol and be on the electoral roll. And so at the 2022 election, we saw the largest spike in youth enrolment on record. And that was a really, really amazing thing to witness. Um, but more than that, I think once we saw the election and we managed to sit down with the opposition leader at the time, Anthony Albanese, the now prime minister, we couldn't get Scott Morrison, which was very sad for us. But all of it was about bringing the information to our audience and bringing them as much as we could bring them in order for them to, as you said, go to the ballot box and feel like they could be informed and passionate and care about the results because ultimately matters more to us than it does to anyone else. It's our futures. And we had a tiny team. We had one journalist and one editor doing, I think on election night, we posted something like 36 times Um, and we were sitting we were sitting in a newsroom of a commercial television network that night because Sam and I were doing some broadcast stuff and we just saw that their social media team alone not their journalists was about nine times the size of ours and while we died a bit on the inside it made us really proud that we could have that mark despite not having any of the resources that we saw around us. Have goosebumps. <laughs> Tying that into like, you know, your broader content strategy, you guys really grew on social media, particularly Instagram in the early phases. And just then you mentioned that you posted on one, like one night, 36 times. Is a part of growing a social media audience or Instagram, TikTok audience posting constantly? Or is it, you do find that with your journey, it's quality over quantity? I think somewhere in between the the biggest learning that we've had in building this is that consistency is key. And so uh, Sam and I did the Daily Oz for so many years when no one was watching and nobody cared and we had nobody reading it, to be honest. And yet we built habit with those that were there. It was like 150 people, but we continue to build habit by posting at the same time every day and just like building it into their I guess, media consumption habits. And I think that was really pivotal because then when we did grow, we were showing up in the same way and they knew to come to us for Mm -hmm. a certain thing. And so um, our, our big thing is news, not noise. We never want to be posting just for the sake of it because that's when people start to get confused and over it and there is too much information out there and we shouldn't be adding to that. But certainly building a habit with your audience on social media in our experience, has been absolutely vital to growing a solid audience base. I think something that you and Sam have done really well in building up The Daily Oz, and maybe this is probably in the last couple of years in particular, but has been building your own personal brand. 
in terms of, you know, you're doing different media things and you've become almost like a spokesperson for young people in a really amazing and impressive way. How much do you think your personal brand at the moment is tied to TDA? Because it's quite hard when you're building a business to like separate yourself sometimes from what is your baby and what you're putting, you know, so much effort and hard work into building up. It's such a good question and it's something we think about so often because until I think it was when we got to 50,000 followers, we had never put our names on a single thing. We had never put a photo up of ourselves. Like there was no connection between Sam and Zara and the Daily Oz. And we made a very conscious decision. I think we posted like baby photos or something absurd at that point. (laughs) At that point we we decided, okay, (laughs) exactly. Here is Zara with the monobrow at the age of 10. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) uh, still got it. Um, But we, it was a really conscious decision at that point that we were going to open the doors a bit. Not by much. It was never going to be that it was Sam and Zara producing content. It was just we think at some point we had gotten a few messages, people asking, are you owned by so-and-so or are you owned by so-and-so? And And they didn't know where the information was coming from. And so at that point we decided we'll just show a bit of us. Since that point, um, I think naturally there has been a bit more interest as to us, and you're right, like people coming to us to talk about our audience and to talk about our insights about our audience. But there's a very concerted effort from us not to make the brand us because Mm -hmm. I think that in any industry going to be problematic from a commercial point of view, but specifically in media, um, trust needs to be grounded in the information and in the delivery and the communication, not in two people. And so we are trying to build a sustainable business that very much outlives us. We are not going to be young in a couple of years and we will not be able to service the audience in the way that our 19-year-old content creator who we've hired to do TikTok can. And so for us, it's very much about building something that A, isn't built around us, but that we can continue to um, create a, I guess, a platform on which we can speak to traditional media or um, broader society about what we've learned about our audience. Because I think so often young people are left out of those conversations and those panels and whatever, our podcasts, whatever it might be. And so I think it's really great that we get the opportunity to reflect back what we've learned, but it's never going to be the fact that we will have like we don't have bylines on our pieces nobody knows who's written what piece because they should trust the daily oz not one journalist and i think that's kind of where we have landed on that thinking it's interesting to hear like such delineation and such purpose like purpose-led strategy that you guys have kind of put in place um, for this specific thing but tied in with a personal brand running a business running a business that doesn't stop because the news cycle doesn't really stop your life must be a little bit chaotic sometimes Can you run us through like what a day might look like for Zara as a co-founder of the Daily Oz? I'm trying to actively decouple myself from chaos and from saying I'm really busy. It's like a big thing that I've been working on for the last couple of months. Like I'm not busy. I'm just like the same as I would be in any other jobs. That's my thinking. But there is some organized chaos. That is a fair thing to say. We have a podcast that goes out at 6am every day. We have a newsletter that goes out at 7am every day. So it's about waking up and just making sure that the bulk of that content can be done in advance, but it's just about making sure 
for example, that the Queen hasn't died overnight. And so uh, there's very much just a morning sweep of the news, which honestly still feels like a joke that I get paid to do that because that's what I love to do and would be doing in my spare time anyway. Do a morning sweep, get the newsletter out, then head into the office. We've got a morning pitch meeting at 9am every day and we have a brilliant editor who heads up those meetings, which means that Sam and I get to sit back and just kind of watch the rest of the team and just make those really high-level editorial decisions. I head up the editorial, Sam heads up the commercials, so um, we kind of steer in those different directions. Um, But then once that meeting is over, the kind of chaos ensues and it's just... They're all so different and it's such a pleasure to not have two days that look the same, but... Lots of meetings with external stakeholders. I just feel like there are meetings constantly. Um, We've got a bunch of investors, so just making sure that we're on top of comms with investors, helping out editorially where possible. There are still, because we're such a young business, there's still so many question marks over how we'll approach things, how we'll do things. There are many sensitivities in the news, you know, like what, what we will say, what we won't say, what we will show, what we won't show. So just really helping the editorial team with that. Um, And then by the time we get to the afternoon, we're into potty territory. So just prepping um, for the podcast and working with our podcast producer on that. Oh, God, more meetings possibly. (laughs) Um, And then at the end of last year, I noticed I was doing a lot of kind of external facing stuff. So I was doing a lot of panels. I was doing a lot of traveling. And I made a really conscious effort um, over the new year that I was going to strip that back a bit because I felt like I was um, giving too much of myself to other things that weren't the business and not enough of myself to actually investing in the business and in in the amazing people that work for us. So um, really trying to spend more time just, A, being a manager and being a good manager, but B, also taking the time to strategically think about our future and so somehow that all gets into the day and then the day is gone and (laughs) I'm here talking to you. (laughs) Well I have to say that makes us feel very fortunate to have you with us knowing that that is the approach you're taking so thank you but obviously throughout that day which sounded amazing and exciting there were lots of you know you, you, what I'm trying to say is you have a really big team now and a lot of your role these days is mm. sort of managing that team and, like you said, external meetings and all that comes with that. How has that sort of changed over time? Because, you know, in the earlier days when it was just you and Sam and you had less followers, you know, that's obviously not what your day would have been like. But how has the business sort of really transformed over the last few years? I think the biggest distinction is that um, until... 2020, the middle of 2021, Sam and I were still writing everything ourselves. Um, we had no processes. We had no fact checkers. There was no bureaucracy. There was no red tape. There was nothing. It was just us and Canva, our best friend. <laughs> I think that as we professionalized, we got to spend less time in the weeds. And I, I kind of think it's bullshit to say that we don't spend time in the weeds or that we shouldn't spend time in the weeds because you should know how your business is operating at any given time. And like Sam and I do just so much of that still today, but way less than we did, Um, which is, again, really good for giving us space to think about other things. Um, But Sam had to also single-handedly 
create this kind of commercial arm to the business and think about how we were going to become commercially viable. And so, so much of what we do is now he is um, working really closely with our amazing head of partnerships, Tara, and together the commercial team and the editorial team have to find a way to work together in a way that doesn't compromise either of our goals. And that's, I'd say, probably the most difficult part of running a media business is that we have to be commercially viable. We have investors who are expecting a return and yet we never want to compromise on our key tenant, which is trust. If we don't have trust, we've got nothing. We've got nothing to sell. We've got nothing to commercialise because we've got no audience. And so um, a lot of our time now is spent thinking about innovative ways to kind of continue to commercialise that don't sacrifice our core offering. You just spoke about bringing on investors and we are mm. interested in understanding kind of like what that process looked like for you. It was very unorthodox. <laughs> I think when I reflect back on it, it was it was actually absurd when I say it. So Sam went and spoke to a year six cohort, you know, doesn't everyone, <laughs> uh, to a year six cohort at our old school about what we were doing. And sitting in that year six cohort was a teacher whose brother was a very successful entrepreneur and investor. And she approached Sam after his presentation to a bunch of 15-year-olds saying, I really want to introduce you to my brother. I think he should invest in your company. And I remember Sam calling me. I was working like the most insane hours at this point. I was working like, anyway... And he called me and I was like, Sam, what are you talking about? We both got jobs. Like we're, we're doing absolutely none of that. Uh, and in very signature Sam and Zara styles where Sam will pursue anything to any length and Zara just automatically shuts things down, uh, he pursued it. That is who our first investor ended up being. I will say that I think there was a bit of a domino effect from there. It was very much a case of, oh, if so-and-so is on board, then I'm on board. But I think my two biggest learnings from raising are the first, you need to sell the dream a bit. You need to sell the mission and that if you find the right angel investors, um, they should believe in the mission and the founders and not expect an immediate return because anybody looking at our business on paper at that point would have been silly to expect a return. We had we were completely pre-revenue. We had no plans to commercialise. We had an Instagram and zero other assets and had no idea what we were doing. But we sold what our mission was and they bought into that, which we're really lucky about. But the other thing that I think I learnt during that time, and I, I'm really hesitant to say this because I haven't found any of my other experiences in running a company to be gendered and I haven't found anything to be difficult as a woman in running this company. I'm really lucky in that way and I understand that privilege. But I found the investor and the capital raising process deeply gendered and that I felt like I had missed out at that point in life where everybody learnt the cool acronyms to use in investor meetings and Mm. the spaces where these men were meeting and we ended up with a full round of only men And in retrospect, I really, really regret that because it wasn't reflective, A, of our business, but B, of our audience. And our audience is 80% women. And I think that 
Um, we should have done a better job to reflect where we were going there, but we just didn't know. And so I think that's what my biggest learning of the capital raise has been. And we raised again fairly recently. God, it was like six months ago now. Um, and made a conscious effort to approach more women and to really just shoot our shot and it worked. So that was good news. Yeah, well, I mean, through even through this podcast, we've had a lot of conversations with people that work in the startup space. And I think it's a fact like... 2% of funding comes from women or goes into women-led businesses and it's this kind of vicious cycle that if you don't have women investing in companies then you don't have the right contacts or the networks to grow so mm-hmm. unfortunately mm-hmm. it is still a very male dominated space but you know through opening conversations like this or even having your own experience you could be used as a networking opportunity for someone else to find another female investor and then that's how we can grow 100%. that circle. A hundred percent. It's something my my best friend is also, she runs a startup and we've often spoken about the fact that we'd love to do just a very basic angel investing course just to get our foot in the door, just to learn what everyone else is, <laughs> what everyone else seems to know um, and just to really, <laughs> yeah, just, just enter that world in a way that those doors don't naturally open, I think, for women. It's only changing. But at this point, I feel like we need to kind of superficially inject ourselves into certain spaces and I'm very keen to do that. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you were thinking about raising money, how, how did you know how much you needed to raise? Did you work? How, how did you know sort of what to budget for going forward? Did you sort of seek advice on things like that or did you do back calcs and figure out, you know, how much money you would need for certain things? What was the process What did that look like? As with everything else, a bit shambolic, but our budgeting is fairly simple. Our product is the people. And so we don't do anything without a really good team around us. And those are essentially our only overheads. We rely solely, as I've said many times on many podcasts, on Canva. Uh, We don't have graphic designers. We never have. We never will. And so we only really needed to budget for the people that we wanted to have to run this content. And so... Um, look, working out salaries is a whole nother ball game, but um, <laughs> I think that it was fairly easy for us to create um, a loose plan of attack that we could show investors that just showed we're not investing in any crazy tech, we're not taking any risks here, we are doing the bare minimum to show you that we have what it takes to grow our audience and that in turn we should continue to like feed that beast. And so we, for a very long time, had one employee and then it was only once we had started to commercialise and started to see some sort of return did we invest further into the business from there. Yeah, that's interesting because I can imagine if it was a different type of business in a different industry, you'd be thinking about so many more overheads like, you know, production, manufacturing, all that kind of stuff, whereas you're Completely. just... Completely. I mean, it's so lucky. And I guess part of bringing on investors is, as you said, to show them that eventually they're going to have a return on investment. Otherwise, I guess, why would they put their money into a business? How are you leveraging your audience to continue to monetize TDA in the future? So we do it in a number of ways. All of it comes back to bringing brands and showing them and getting them in front of a demographic that is quite typically difficult to reach. And so 
It's amazing when I listen back to podcasts from when Sam and I first started and we were being interviewed and we were like, we'll never do advertising. Advertising (laughs) is for old businesses. Anyway, startup rule number one, (laughs) never say never. Um, So we do advertising, um, but our kind of key differentiation from the rest is that um, we believe that trust has been corroded via this like really unclear blurring of lines between what is paid for and what is kind of organic content. And so if you look at other news sites or or especially youth news publishers, it's oftentimes the fact that you can't actually distinguish whether a piece has been paid for by a certain sponsor. It's like they're I'm not going to give an example that will get me into trouble, but I think that there are lots of examples of that being the case. And so for us, our rule with um, advertising is the same as our rule with content, which is that we go for the radical transparency route. If we're doing an ad, we make abundantly clear that it is an ad and uh, there is no blurring of boundaries and no blurring of lines. Um, And we found that that transparency has been rewarded by our audience who are really unique in that they're making really sticky decisions for the first time in their life. They're thinking about health insurance or a mattress or cutlery or all these things that that seem really menial when you say them out loud but are actually really substantial. We found that brands are really eager to get in front of our audience but the one thing for us is just making sure that they are the right brands and so we, uh, especially in the early days, it was really heart-wrenching saying more no's than yeses, especially when you're like hyper aware of your cash flow and that you have like zero revenue um but we knew that again as I said before that the trust is very easy to destroy uh but bloody difficult to build and so that was maintained throughout we won't put a a company that doesn't reflect the values of our company or of our audience uh in front of them and so that's been the way that we've been able to monetize our products. We've got a podcast, newsletter, Instagram, we've got videos. Um, and so those are all the opportunities people have. And then there's also polling. Uh, so we noticed quite early that we had access to this amazing group of people that, again, no one else could really reach and that they were really willing to tell us how they felt about things. And so we've been building an off-platform polling tool that can also allow brands to poll um, our audience and get in front of our audience to understand kind of behaviours and attitudes towards certain things. And, again, we play more in the for-purpose space there because um, that aligns more with our values, but it's a really interesting way uh, for us to align with brands um, beyond just a typical advertisement. Zara, how do you stay informed? What are your favorite resources? Oh, I mean, other than the daily Oz, <laughs> um, I've, I've had to find my new way of consuming information. I think that because I have such an information overload all the time, I've had to really find a way in my spare time. This comes from an existential crisis of me figuring out I have no hobbies because my hobbies were reading the news in the past. Really niche. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I have two newsletters other than the Daily Ozzers that I really love. They just distill the information I need to know. Um, it's Crikey and The Squiz. 
So that's where I love to get my information first thing in the morning because it comes to me in the way that I've tried to build a company that goes to our audience. Do you have any politics ones in particular that you go to, any podcasts or even like books that you've read that you would recommend? With politics, it's really difficult because there is a lot of information out there, but you've just got to really understand the context in which that information is being delivered. And so something that's really important for me is always getting outside my echo chamber. And Mm. so I make a really, really conscious effort to listen to and consume information from what I view as like the complete political spectrum. And I'd really encourage your listeners if they're trying to get into politics to do that, because I think it gives you a really full picture and it means, and it's something I care deeply about, it means that if you're debating somebody, you actually are armed with the facts to know what they're going to say and where they've gotten their information and where they're coming from. And I've found as I've matured, I used to just shut people down and just refuse to engage if they didn't agree with me, which again says way more about me than it does about anyone else. Um, But I've found that in consuming way more political content um, that doesn't necessarily align with where I see myself on the political spectrum, I'm a much more rounded political mind than I ever was. The Guardian does really amazing podcasts and I think that they cover things in a different way to other media, specifically things around lower socioeconomic areas and issues that pertain to those groups. And so I found that I'm learning a lot through different kind of Guardian outlets and platforms. If we were to imagine that we are sitting here in 10 years' time, and I hope that we are, saying that (laughs) this has been a really successful 10 years for the Daily Oz. Can you paint a picture for us? What does that look like? I love this. Um, So to me, the Daily Oz is the biggest youth news publisher in the country. We are no longer just called an Instagram page. We're respected by um, politicians, other media, but more importantly by young people holistically. Um, and we're geographically diverse. I think one of our, our biggest, I guess, areas of growth right now is that it, it grew really organically around Sam and I and around our connections and our networks, and that means it's really centred in the capital cities. And so I'm really, really keen to grow the Daily Oz into the regions, into rural areas, so that it is every young Australian, not just those who have the luxury of access to certain information. And so to me, success looks like really reaching that ceiling and really meeting every young Australian where they are, not just the ones we're speaking to now. Well, we'll put this podcast in a little time capsule for you and we'll bring it out in 10 years' time and we'll see where you're at. (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) If you could have known one thing before you started a business, what would it have been? I think I say this a lot, uh, but it remains really true, is that certain personality traits and tendencies aren't fixed. What I mean by that is that I came into this business just accepting the fact that I was always going to be the conservative person when it came to risk-taking and when it came to kind of commercial ventures and, and building things really quickly. Um, and I have an amazing mentor who sat me down one day and was like, that is not a fixed thing. Your risk appetite is absolutely not fixed. It's not fixed to your gender. It's not fixed to your age. It's fixed to nothing. And so 
I think for me, being able to actively work on parts of myself as a business owner, as a decision maker, um, has been really beneficial. And I would have loved to have known that at the beginning, because I think I beat myself up a lot about not being more like, for example, Sam, when it came to business, he was so gung-ho about everything. And it's why I love him dearly. But I thought because I wasn't like that, I was never going to be able to make decisions that would progress our business. And so my biggest learning has been that even if you're not there now, um, firstly, you know what's best for your business, but secondly, you can adapt with it and your kind of appetite and desire for the company can grow too. And I, I found that to be a really useful thing as I've kind of matured with the business. Well, Zara, you're doing a fantastic job. And I think both Soph and I have really loved watching you guys continue to just kill it in all aspects of what you are doing. So well done. Thank you. If people want to find out more about you or The Daily Oz, where should they head? I think my one plug would be to sign up for the newsletter. So you can go to our website, which is just The Daily Oz. It's really, really (laughs) innovative there. Um, But I think that our newsletter really just provides a bit more oomph and it gives you everything you need all in one place. Um, And so, yeah, I'd love if people could follow us there so that we can grow the journey together. Stunning. (laughs) We will make sure that we put a link to that in the episode notes. (laughs) Stunning. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for your time today. We will, um, I'm sure we'll be chatting soon. Thanks so much for having me. We would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please join us on Instagram at YGC Podcast. We are also hustling hard to try and make our TikTok work (laughs) more popular, (laughs) viral. So join us there at YIGC podcast as well. Jump into the Facebook group, YIGC investing podcast discussion group. And if you have a friend who's looking to side hustle into founders, please share them. Looking to side hustle. Looking to start a side hustle. Are into founders. Founders want to hear their stories. Share this with a friend. We've got lots of episodes coming your way of very insightful stories. We cannot wait to join you again next week. Bye. You have been listening to an Equity Mates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 5406. 697.